Hey, welcome. We're glad you're here. Thanks for being here today, especially on such a cold uh, day. If you're watching online, thanks for joining us online. And today we're in week three of a four-week series that we started three weeks ago, or four weeks ago now, uh, called Cadence. Um, last week we took a break in the series and Mike filled in for me. I appreciate Mike preaching for me last week while we were gone. And um, I'll take the blame, Bobby, for the temperature, for the weather being bad this week, but I'm also going to take the credit then for the temperatures warming up. Um, I said we're bringing the warmer weather back with us. It's just on a Delta flight. It'll be here a little later. Yeah, Spirit probably, yeah. We didn't fly Delta, so. Uh, <laughs> hey, we're in this series called Cadence, and Cadence is a word that we often associate with rhythm. Uh, the actual definition of cadence is simply this. It's a modulation in reading aloud as implied by the structure and the ordering of words and phrases in a written text. Um, if you remember back to week one, uh, all the way in last year, uh, you'll know that while this definition describes reading aloud, you can also find cadence in, in music and in creation. And as we talked about two weeks ago, on, in every individual on earth, that God has built cadence and rhythm into everything. It's, it's everywhere. And one of the most important places that you'll find cadence is in the rhythm of relationships with others. And so today we're going to take a little bit deeper look at how our individual lives find divine strength and encouragement in the rhythm and the fellowship with, with other people. Or maybe said a, a, a different way, the cadence of community. Just like the cosmos and, and your calendar, there are both healthy and unhealthy relation, uh, rhythms in relationships with others. Thankfully, the Bible gives followers of Jesus some very clear instructions about fellowship and community and relationships. Actually, most of the Old Testament and the New Testament deal with issues of relationships between groups and neighbors and cultures. And so this isn't exactly like breaking news or anything. But thinking about relationships in terms of the rhythm and cadence isn't something that we do very often. So, so let's just jump right into it. How many of you have ever been to a Broadway play or a musical? I mean, it doesn't have to be a Broadway play, but just a musical. Show of hands, just to see. All right. Keep those hands up if you have ever seen the, the, the Christmas ballet, The Nutcracker. You ever? Okay, quite a few of you. Um, that, that ballet, for example, it's a beautifully choreographed dance between actors and, and dancers. At times, it's sweeping in its scope of, of musicality and movement, but at other times, it's precisely intimate. That's exactly how the cadence of relationships works in our lives. Sometimes they're sweeping and robust, but other times very intimate and very precise. It's a dance that we all have to learn, and like most things in life, some catch on a little bit quicker than others. There's an article in Psychology Today by Dr. Abigail Brenner, and she said this. She said, similar to learning and practicing dance steps and moves, the dance of relationships how we engage and interact with others has its own set of steps and tempo and rhythm that are necessary in order to negotiate the moves between people. She says sometimes these steps are verbalized, openly stated, so that people understand what is expected of them in the relationship. And sometimes these steps are never discussed, so it's the action between people that define what's going on in the relationship. If, if what Dr. Brenner is saying is true, then there are certain rules and and practices that are commonly accepted when, when dancing or negotiating a relationship. And when spe speaking specifically of relationships, I generally mean like fellowship and, and community with others. But in that, there are accepted time-honored practices that we either adhere to or we don't. 
like, for example, like bringing a gift to a wedding. That's, that's a socially acceptable uh, norm that we practice because of the relationship that we have with people. Like showing up on time when you're going to meet with a friend. Like responding to a text message or a voicemail in a timely manner. Those are all common practices. And by the way, on that note, I've been locked out of my email for a week. So if you have emailed me in the last week, I'm not ignoring it. I just can't get to it. And hopefully our internet people will fix that for me tomorrow. But text me. I'll get right back to you. But, but, uh, but those, are, those seem like small things, don't they? You know, bringing a gift to a wedding or showing up on time or, or just responding to a message. They, they seem like small things, like inconsequential things, but it's all the little things that go into the dance. In the Nutcracker, it's, it's every cue, it's, it's every toe lift, it's every note that the orchestra plays that, that brings everything together. It's what makes it all work together. And we know from Romans 8.28 that God works all things for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. Don't miss what that verse says, that God works all things together. Now, for a certain group of people... Don't miss that either for those who, who love him and have been called according to his purpose. But God works all things together. What I'm getting at is that fellowship is a gift. Community is a gift. Rhythm and cadence are gifts that have been woven into our lives. So what kind of practices and actions does the Bible prescribe to the fellowship of believers? Well, you don't have to look very far. In fact, you only need to look to the very first uh, century church the beginning of the church uh, to see what their rhythm was what their what their cadence was acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 give us a beautiful picture of what their rhythm of what their cadence was like this is what it says it says they devoted themselves they being the church the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And when I read that passage, there are so many different words and themes that, that stand out to me. Devotion, teaching, prayer, generosity, praise, salvation. But what words do you, when you read that, what words or themes jump out at you? What practice uh, do you see that the early church have had that sounds appealing to you now? Maybe another way to ask would be, what things do you still see happening in the church today that they did? Let me just tell you, this, this passage has long been held as the ideal cadence for the Christian community. This is the divine rhythm of fellowship with others, immortalized for us in the hallowed pages of Scripture for every generation to read new for the first time. Think about, though, this passage, and think about some of the things that we do uh, every week. Any of those things sound familiar to you, or, or feel familiar to you, to what the first century church did? Like teaching and fellowship. I, that's something we do every week, or at least I hope we do it every week. Um, I hope through, through, the, through the messages every week that there's something that causes you to, to think or something that, that makes you go, hey, you know, I've never thought about it in that way. Maybe something reaches out a little bit and, and just sticks with you throughout the week. I hope that happens. Um, but I'll tell you this, that I, I, it's okay if it doesn't happen every week because not every week's going to be for you. I trust that the Holy Spirit can, can, uh, might not point something out to you in one message, Excuse me, but someone else, because of, of circumstances and convictions, needs to hear that message 
very badly. So, so just understand that not every week is for, is for you. That not every week is for everyone. But, but we, we do this every Sunday, right? We open up the scriptures and we look at what it says. We do it on Sunday mornings with Sunday school. We do it on Wednesday nights with Bible studies. There's, there's teaching that takes place. We fellowship every week. We think fellowship is such an important part of what we do. We created a, spe- a specific time just for that with coffee and donuts and all sorts of other things down in Bell Hall. And we, did it, we do it at a specific time, too, for a specific reason. We do it right after Sunday school, before church. You know why? Because you're just coming out of a teaching setting, right? You're in a, you're in a closed group, a, a small group, so to speak, and, you, and you've been studying God's Word together with, with a few people, and now you're getting ready to go into a corporate worship setting to, with more people. It's, it's an opportunity to prepare yourself for worship. Fellowship is preparate, can, can be used as preparation for corporate worship. And so we want to invite you to come downstairs and share, share a donut, have coffee, talk to somebody that you haven't talked to for, for a little while, just so that your mind and your heart gets right as it gets prepared to, to enter into corporate worship. What about prayer and breaking of bread? Yeah, we do that every week. Uh, specifically, there are two uh, uh, mentions of breaking of bread in this passage. The first one that is mentioned in verse 42, that's talking about communion. I get asked every week why we practice communion every week because it's the, you know, the tradition of some groups not to, and, and that's okay to each their own, I guess. But, but our practice is to do it every Sunday. Why? This right here. Because the first century church, it was their pattern, it was their rhythm, their cadence to come together on the first day of the week to celebrate communion together, to, to break bread and remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, as much as we think and talk about specific things that we do when we come together, it's equally, if not more important, to talk simply about the power of coming together. This passage that we just read, it says that they were gathering together daily. right? They, they gathered together. Daily. Now, on one hand, that's, that's pretty interesting as we consider the rhythm in which God created the world and, 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 and then in the way that He created us with, with circadian rhythm. But on the other hand, it seems like that's an impossible ideal to, to live up to. I mean, honestly, gathering together daily, what's that even look like? How does that work? I mean, because when I read that, my first thought is church service every, every day. And for some of you, like, there's no way, right? Like, let's just be honest. Like, getting you to a church service one day is is a pretty good thing and to do it daily no like that's not happening but i don't think that's what we're talking about here instead of thinking about having an actual church service every day what if you thought about entering into a time of fellowship with other believers on a daily basis i mean it could be a coffee date it could be a phone call it could be exercising together it could be bible study devotions book clubs texts, whatever and those are just a few ideas uh, right now there's a group of us that are doing a daily bible reading plan together and we, we do it through version, And the way that we stay connected there is, is through that and through text messages. Hey, ha, did everybody get their readings done? Have you, have you been, are you caught up? What did you think? Did something stand out to you? And it's just daily, uh, daily gathering with, with people. Look, the challenge, is keeping, the challenge is keeping a healthy rhythm of fellowship in your life, even when things get increasingly busy and hectic all around you. And look, I don't have to tell any of you that we're all busy people, aren't we? We live in a busy society, but there is strength and encouragement in the Christian community that you simply won't find anywhere else. 
There's power when we get together and it, and it looks like the earliest followers of Christ shared fellowship every single day together because they knew about that power. But it wasn't just about sharing time with one another. It was also about sharing Him, about sharing Jesus. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, it says, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am with them. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am with them. And that, that verse, Im- immediately it, in, the, in the direct context, it's talking about dealing with conflict. It's conflict resolution. When two or three people gather together to, to deal with a conflict, when there's some discipline that needs to take place, I am with you in I am with you. I will walk through, through this with you. But I think that verse holds up in, 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 in our situation as well. When we're just talking about being together with one another. Because when we gather together for fellowship in the name of Jesus, there is power in that. And there are, there is, there's, you couldn't convince me otherwise that Jesus hasn't been present in, in moments of fellowship when maybe there were just two or three gathered. But also in, in the midst of thousands Jesus is present with us. Fellowship is powerful because He's there with us. He's the powerful one. He's the one who who holds this whole thing together. He's the one that holds the world in His hands. He's the centerpiece, the cornerstone. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And look, people might come and go throughout the course of your life, of your busy lives, but Jesus is the one that never leaves us. Don't believe me? Think about the people you went to high school with. You probably went to high school and you interacted with people for four years on a daily basis. And these, these were your people, weren't you? Weren't they? But then what happened? You graduated and life happened. Life got busy and you went different ways. You went different, uh, to different towns and different colleges. And, and life just took you in a different place and, and setting. And now those people that you thought you would never do life without aren't there. I can tell you, I, I went to Washington County, a small high school. I think there were about 110 of us in our graduating class. I knew everybody's name in my graduating class. I can tell you on one hand the number of people I keep in contact with. And on a daily basis, I don't even need one hand. But maybe on a monthly basis, two to three, maybe. And these were my people. Life just happens. Life takes you in different directions. But Jesus never leaves Jesus never leaves us. No matter where you go, where you are, Jesus is always there with us. And when reading the Acts 2 passage, you'll notice that the early church, they were in the rhythm of sharing meals together. And it would be safe to assume that when they shared meals together, they also shared communion together. And communion is important because communion is where we remember Jesus. Communion is where we commit to remembering Him whenever we gather together to break bread and and, and to, to drink from the cup. Right? Here's what Paul wrote to the first Corinthians. Uh, he said this, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, communion, what we just did a few minutes ago, communion is about remembering Jesus, about His life, about His sacrifice on the cross, about His body that was broken for me and for you, His his blood, the marker of a new and final covenant between God and man. It's about His death. It's about His resurrection. It's about His promise to return again for His church. And these are the realities for the believer that we just simply can't forget. And because communion is implicitly done with others, It follows that we would celebrate and remember Jesus together. 
together. A Christ-honoring and remembering cadence is an incredibly important rhythm to keep in our lives. Because there's simply just too many distractions and interruptions throughout the day. There's too many opportunities to push Jesus to the back burner, to, to the background. And unfortunately, I think that's exactly what Satan want, wants from us. If, I can't, if Satan thinks, if I can't get them to just outright follow me, I'll just make them busy. Like, right? Like, if I'll just make them distracted. I'll, I'll get them doing all sorts of other things, and they don't have time to think about Jesus. They're just too busy and too distracted and too frantic to ever have time to sit down with, with others and remember Christ together. And you probably already know this because you're here and it's three degrees outside, so this isn't earth-shattering news to any of you, but, but sin invaded humanity at the very beginning. And unfortunately, the effects of sin keep plaguing our, our world today. The work of, of Christ on the cross, it was sufficient enough to restore our eternal relationship with, with the Father. But as for the pervasive nature of sin, we'll have to wait until Christ returns for, for His church and establish His rule and His reign for all of time. But what's that invasion of sin have to do with cadence? Well, I think a lot, in fact. Let's just consider the two things that we've just talked about, fellowship and communion. Think for a moment how difficult it can be to simply get to church. Any of you have a problem, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but you just have a problem getting to church on Sunday morning. It's like, why is it always the hour before you're supposed to get ready to leave for church that you and your, your spouse have that same argument every week, or that your kids seem to have a tantrum and like nobody can find their shoes. What happened to all the shoes in our house, right? Because nobody can find their shoes anymore. Is it possible that there is opposition to you attending church and having fellowship with other people? I think so. Is it possible that Satan just doesn't want you here on a regular basis learning and praising and praying and communing with others? Yeah, I think so. And if he can disrupt or discourage you from getting into a rhythm of, of fellowship and, and the cadence of community, then he's already got you. Like I said, if he can't get you to follow him, he'll just make you busy and distracted. He knows the power of the gathered church, and he knows how important it is that we come together regularly to remember Jesus. Because listen to me on this church. When the church is together and it's in cadence with, with the Creator, there is no force like the church. Globally, the, the world changes when the global church is in step with, and, and in cadence with the Father. And locally, when, when communities change. When, when our churches are in step with one another and we're in cadence and rhythm with God, communities change. Churches, I'm telling you, church is the most powerful entity that has ever been created in all of the world, in all of the universe. And there's an enemy out there. And his goal is to simply seek, is, is to kill, steal, and destroy. And so if I can't get you to follow me, I'll just make you busy. And I, you won't have time for all of this. You won't have time to be a part of this powerful entity known as the church. And it's not the exact same, but, but equally destructive when coming to church and gathering with other believers simply becomes a performance that you just you play your part in every week. No conviction, no passion. You just show up playing the part of a dutiful Christian, of a good person. You know, I can't imagine that a lukewarm uh, actor on Broadway would last very long, would they? Likewise, a, a lukewarm Christian who's lost the passion of, of what Paul would call their first love is heading to a very destructive end. About 15 years ago, Kyle Ottoman produced a, a series called Not a Fan. 
Uh, many of you probably uh, have gone through that series. It's a great series. If you haven't, I would recommend looking it up. But here's the premise of that, that the idea behind it, the uh, premise of the series, is that we are able to fill up stadiums, sports stadiums, by the thousands with fans of sports teams, right? They come and they cheer and they, 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 they act crazy and they do all of these wild things because they love their sports teams. But what do fans do? They watch, right? Fans go to, to events. They, they sit in stadium seats to watch. They never participate. They don't get to be out on the field and play the game. They go and they watch the game. They go and they watch. They don't ever participate. And, and the idea, the comparison is that maybe we are filling up churches full of fans who come in and they sit in the pew every week. And they're what we would call good people. But they watch. They don't ever get involved. They never participate. Let me just tell you, worship is not a spectator sport. All right? It's a participatory event that we get to be a part of. And we don't sing because you need a warm-up before the sermon. No, no, no. We sing because we are worshiping our Creator. Worship is a, is a, a participatory event, not a spectator sport. For listening to a sermon, I get you're not... You're not preaching every week, but that's, that, there's participation in that. It's not just a, a spectator event. It's not just a spectator sport. When, when you're engaged with the scriptures, when you're following along, when you're, when you're maybe taking notes or you're, you're, you're just trying to you know, let your heart decipher what's being said so that you can go out and make a difference, that's being involved. That's being a participant. But I'm telling you, we weren't called to be pew sitters. We weren't called to be fans. We weren't called to be spectators. We were called to be, be followers. We were called to be disciples. We were called to be engaged with the world so that the world might know who Jesus is. Because look, there's a lost world out there. And we don't have to go very far to find them. We just look around. There's a lost world out there that needs hope. And they need to know the love of Jesus. And what's our mission? What's our mission? This is where you get to participate, right? I'm talking about participation. This is it. What's our mission? Yeah. Our mission is to lead people to love and follow Jesus. But it can't just be something that we say every Sunday. It's got to be something that we actually do because we are not spectators. We're not fans who just go sit in a stadium and watch. That's not what we were ever called to be. We were called to be in the game. And if you turn your jersey in, you never get in the game, right? You've got to be in the game. And sin... Sin wants to invade your relationship with Christ. The devil wants to interrupt your fellowship and disrupt your community, but we have to stand strong. We can't let the devil cut in as we dance in the relationship with Christ and with the church and with other believers in our lives. This is what Paul says, I think Paul, but what, what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who's that great cloud of witnesses? It's, it's the church. He says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run. He says, let us run, not let us sit, not let us watch. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Church, don't grow weary and lose heart. Don't let Satan cut in on your dance. Two weeks ago, I, sh I shared a passage with you from 2 Timothy. And I just want to bring that back up again. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, 
but the power of love and self-discipline. God has given us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Setting up healthy rhythms in our lives takes an immense amount of, of discipline. It takes focus and intention and perseverance. And thankfully, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to help us have godly discipline. And as we walk with God and step with the Spirit, we can enjoy the fruits of that relationship. And so as we wrap up our time this morning, here's what I, I want you to, to consider this week. I want you to consider your relationship rhythm. How does cadence in community with community look like? What does it look like for you? Is it a life-giving dance in which you feel in step with others and, and with the church and, and with Jesus? Or is something out of place? Have you let Satan cut in and disrupt your rhythm? Let me ask you this. When's the last time you took communion and really focused on remembering who Jesus is and how he sacrificed his life for ours? And for those of you that are, that are in the room or maybe watching online who are just simply showing up, who, who are playing their perceived part in the performance, number one, let me just tell you today, stop it. Just stop, all right? That's as simple as I can make it. Just stop. But number two, let me ask you to consider why. Why, why are you just playing your part? Did, did something happen? Did a relationship go the wrong way? Is there unforgiveness? Are, are you simply bored? Whatever the case might be, let me assure you of this, that a complacent and lukewarm relationship with Christ and the church is not the Father's best for you. His best is that you would flourish with a healthy relationship and, and, and the rhythms that He's given us. His best is that our individual lives would find divine strength and encouragement in the rhythm of fellowship with others. Cadence is God's best for us. The cadence of community. That's God's best for us. Not all the other stuff that we think we have to have. Cadence. Rhythm with God and rhythm with each other. That is God's best for us. Let me pray for us.